0: when i i was in master's commission i don't know if you guys know that about me or not but oh I, yeah I, oh yeah oh yeah oh boy all right so master's commission i was in i was in master's commission the first time that first assembly tried to do masters um, there was a break of like a lot of a lot of years between the first time. You see what they did wrong. Let me just tell you what they did. What they did wrong was they they did not have a specific director of masters commission. They just did masters, and the youth pastor was in charge of it. Okay, and uh, and so we were all just like slave labor for the youth department. <laughs> uh which whatever is it, i mean not you have no idea that's <laughs> like wait we're not out? No we <laughs> not at all to the level plus the guy my youth pastor who uh, i'm so so grateful for god used him to to man i mean my my connection to jesus was forged in the fire of what god did in my youth group years for sure but he was not a discipler at all. He was an evangelist. He did not know how to disciple people. In fact, he didn't even have a value for discipleship at all. So, uh, I mean, if you had said, do you have a value for discipleship? He would have said, yeah, but he had no clue how to do it and made no attempt. Um, so, <laughs> bad, yeah. It was bad. Plus, he was also spiritually abusive and controlling it. Yeah, it was, yeah, uh, all those kinds of things that I didn't understand until much later, but that was very real in my world. Um, But uh, yeah, and so, and then when he got kind of, he kind of had a a little bit of a breakdown. Uh, He had been here about, I think, seven years. Um, And then, so he got put on kind of a mandatory sabbatical for a few months where he where he was supposed to be doing counseling blah 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 and he decided to spend that time looking for another job instead which is yeah so it's it's really sad is what it is because uh, because I mean there were there were ramifications later with because his wife and his family etc I mean just the, the unhealthy patterns in his life eventually um, uh, did, did real bad things for, for his family, whatever. Um, God brought it all back around and, uh, but then he died when he was 47 years old. So That's tragic. Stress? he wasn't really a very healthy person. Um, I mean, he wasn't heavy or whatever, but he just like, from the time he was young, like he had a like half of his lung removed when he was like 17, something I don't know. Anyway, but the, so he had chronic health issues his whole life. Uh, but uh, and and then what's weird is he had like gotten a pacemaker and stuff. Again, he's like 42, 43, uh, and uh, and then he and the doctor said, "You're doing good." He'd gotten a clean bill of health and he was playing basketball with some guys. Went over, sat down, t- and bent over to tie his shoe and never got up. Oh. <laughs> As it. And I don't know the medical details, but it was just out of the clear blue sky. Gone. Um, so there, there's uh, the fruit of his ministry is literally all over the planet right now um, the do you guys know Eric Pio right yeah. Yeah. he was uh, he was in youth group with me uh, Jason Reynolds and his wife Lori both came out of our youth group um, uh, I mean all around us all around you is the fruit of that but anyway when when he left um There wasn't. They kind of handed off Masters' commission to the young adult pastor, like, "Hey, here you go," and uh, and that was. After that, it just fell apart because he wasn't really. Now he was a discipler, but he was. I don't. It just didn't. Just didn't work. Anyway. um, And so it went away. So that was Masters existed for three years here, and I was a part of two of those years. Maybe it was four years. Might have been four years. No, just three. Anyway, I was part of two of those years. I quit about halfway through my second year. Um, just things weren't going well, and so I stepped out. Um, and uh, and yeah, but my wife and I did get together during masters, so that you know the grand masters tradition is continued. So, no, I I. My wife and I knew each other, but she was four years older than me. And so, like, the thought of dating her just did not enter my mind until we were in Masters together, which is really good at putting together the most unlikely people. Have you ever noticed that? Uh, You see couples that come out of Masters, and you're like, really? Okay, it works, whatever. I mean, (laughs) but... I don't know why I told you that. Anyway. So, yeah, I am. Uh, uh. Anyway, oh, I was going to say during our Christmas break, we started out with 13 first year students. During our Christmas break, five of them quit. Yeah. <laughs> one of them got his girlfriend pregnant. Another one moved to Colorado. <laughs> it was one of them uh, got uh, actually about, about, about two weeks in. One of the 13, two weeks into our whole year together, uh, cops from Nevada came and took him because he had uh, drug charges in Nevada that he was... This
1: is so dramatic.
0: It was a heck of a year, man. It was It was crazy. You do not know. You don't know. Let's just say the... Let's just say the, the the vetting process the application process for master's commission not quite perfect um, at the time i'm sure it's not now either but it's, i'm hoping it's better than ours was ours was basically you want to do masters okay now the 13 okay let me tell you how this all went down because this is great because okay uh two weeks in we had the one guy get arrested he just disappeared uh, everybody was, we didn't have like a house where everybody lived. Everybody was living in host homes. Um, and, and this guy just didn't show up one day to his host home. Just like, and nobody knew where he was. And we didn't find out for like three weeks that he was in jail in Nevada. That was an interesting thing. And, uh, and, then, and then a week after that, a week after that, we actually had two people who came into the first year program engaged. Explain that one to me. I will, I'll never be able to explain it to you uh, why that was allowed. Uh, but then they were caught on a date. Uh, after oh, they were engaged, uh, anyway. Did
1: you, did you
0: get no, they.
1: they were a Our director
0: knew they were engaged before he told them they could be a part of Masters. And then he was surprised that they wanted to continue to carry on their romantic relationship as a part of Masters. Anyway, yes, he explained it thoroughly. Uh, I just think that they didn't think that it was anyway. So, and then we were good until Christmas break. And then uh, four or five, I'm trying to remember, I know at least three people left. Uh no, it was four. It was four people that left. Oh, uh, I can't. You know, this is... Well, the one guy hooked up with his girlfriend over Christmas break and got her pregnant. Um, Wait. And, uh, uh, and so he was out. And two guys moved to... One, oh, no, one guy moved to Colorado because he decided God was calling him to go to Colorado. Um, and then... And two other guys were just like, yeah, I'm done. We're not coming back. Uh, so, yeah. So that was... And we were good for the rest of the year. Well,
1: that's good.
0: Yes. <laughs> no, we were fine until the, for the rest of the year. We Everybody else graduated. Yeah. Good for them. Good for us. For me. <laughs> and that, yeah, so... Uh, what? I ended up graduating. How many? Seven... Six, seven. I don't remember the. I, I thought it was 13 originally, but I'm pretty sure we had seven people graduate. I, I can probably count them. It's me, my wife, Amy, Courtney, Shane, Ruth, and Dave. So there were seven. There were seven that graduated. Okay, six.
1: Are they all in
0: Well, myself and my wife.
1: Uh, More
0: than half. There's only one other that's no, actually seven. in ministry right now. So three of the seven. Yeah. Um. No. um
1: when you were in master, did you guys have like, what? What did you guys have like these schools like what we have now like school of kid men, school of youth men, or no. what was your schooling like?
0: No. We had, we, we were uh, connected to Global University, I think, which is a lot like what you're doing now, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, actually, no. We were connected with New- North Central oh, through a, a, a program which no longer exists. Yeah. I'm trying to remember the name of it. Nope, not going to remember the name <laughs> of it. Um, but basically, we were an extension campus for North Central. Uh, like is kind of I mean uh, so we were kind of an extension campus from North Central and it wasn't just master students that were taking the courses It was also others that were taking the courses with us and they were taught by uh, pastors from the region including some people that were on staff at the church at the time but uh, Carlson University I think is what's called um, and uh, and uh, yeah and then those could transfer to wherever I transferred mine to to south uh, to, yeah um, so, but anyway, that they, they were they were fully accredited courses, which was nice. But we were an, we were an extension campus, so that was cool. That was that part was good. But as far as like on like hands on ministry, practice stuff, yeah, we were doing all of that. Like we, Pastor Barry taught us all how to juggle and and make balloon animals, um, and we would help out. Like we had rotations through the different ministries and things, but. We weren't actually like, you know, apprentice to anybody in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, the, I think the only we weren't connected to the worship teams officially in any way. Uh, but but youth group, the the college ministry, the kids ministry, all three of those we did, and then we took other classes like. Spiritual warfare, boundaries, uh, uh, cleansing stream, I think we did. Um, Yeah, so anyway, there was some good stuff going on. I learned a lot for sure. And my favorite thing about it was just having an hour to spend with Jesus every morning, like mandatory. That was good. That was the best thing. That's the thing that I definitely think I got the most fruit from was that. Oh, I also didn't tell you this was the, this was one of our favorite moments too. And this was like this was like six weeks in, okay. So we'd already lost the the, the guy that went to jail and the couple that was engaged, who oh, I think still go to this church.
1: No, no. Wait, say that again. I'm
0: pretty sure they go to this. No, no. Did Mark and Amy Adams go to this church still? I think they do. But anyway, <clears throat> <laughs> I
1: mean,
0: yeah. isn't that their name, Mark and no. Amy Adams? Or- I really hope they don't listen to this and I got their name wrong. <laughs> Cut it out. Yeah. I think that's right, though. Anyway, <clears throat> yes, that's right. Mark and Amy Adams—that's their name now. Her name was Amy Kohler before, and it doesn't matter. So, so, but I, I think it was. Boy, I don't remember how long it was. It was a few weeks in, and some in, some some uh, information came to light, and uh, and and so we had this day that we forever then called Black Tuesday, um, where. Uh, because we found out that more than half of the people who had, who were a part of uh, Master's Commission had all gone out and camped in the woods somewhere the weekend before Master's Commission started, and they'd all gotten completely drunk and whatever, including oh. <laughs> my wife was a part of that group. Um, <clears throat> so... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, they'd all gone and and partied like their last hurrah before Master's Commission. And uh, and, yeah, and so we found out about that, and they all got put on probation for like eight weeks or something. Um, Yeah, one of them was the worship leader of the youth group, which at the time, the youth group was about 600 kids. Okay, so yeah, so she got put on probation right which means she would meant she couldn't lead worship uh, which meant i had to lead worship and i had never led worship before in my life except for like one time Um, and and but i was on the worship team but i had never led worship i also didn't play an instrument at the time either Um, so uh that was fun um and she was supposed to help me like put together worship sets and all that kind of stuff and uh and yeah, she didn't. Um, it was like, it was like she showed up that first night for practice, and she was trying to help me put a worship set together. And then she got really upset and just ran off the stage. And then, yeah, yeah that's what happened because she was so upset about everything. And uh, so I was on my own. <laughs> you know, I had to teach myself how to lead worship, which didn't didn't go very well. But anyway, that was 1997.
1: Yes, wow. wow. Is that right? 97? Yeah, it would have been 97. What? This was all second
0: semester. This was all first. The, this was all within like six weeks of the start of NASA oh Yeah. yeah. To what worship song would
1: have been awesome. Okay, let me think. Well,
0: it was a lot of. This was at the height of kind of the Brownsville thing. Okay, so lots of Brownsville stuff. And then some Toronto, some Vineyard stuff, too, is really what we did. We did, because Delirious wasn't a thing yet, which you guys don't even know about them. But but um, Matt Redman wasn't a thing. Uh, passion wasn't a thing. So no Chris Tomlin, no, uh, you know. Elevation. It, what? No Elevation, Elevation really, really wasn't a thing. Like, not at all a thing. Um,
1: Best, so, so,
0: oh, we didn't do any Stephen Curtis songs. No, we we did almost exclusively Brownsville stuff and Vineyard stuff uh, with a little bit of Dennis Jernigan. Anybody know Dennis Jernigan? Uh, you wouldn't like him, I don't think. He's pretty great, honestly, but he had this one song that we used to sing all the time called I Belong to Jesus, which was this crazy, like, uh, I don't know how to describe Dennis Jernigan. Um I don't do you wanna hear? Do you wanna yeah, hear? Yeah. Okay. I'm sure. Well, and here's the deal. We actually made two worship CDs. Mm. Our worship team did, the youth group. Um, you or- no, no, we didn't write our own songs. No. <laughs> I, that would have been a good idea, right? But you no. Know. <laughs> no, the first assembly youth worship team made a third made a CD later when I was youth pastor too. It's called Open Earth. And like a bunch of the guys, like Travis Wilcoxon played bass on it, and like you know a bunch of the the folks. Anyway, and that those were all original songs on that album. But uh, let me think. See Dennis Jernigan. Oh man, this is going to be so uh, terrible. Uh, How long were you the youth pastor here? Was that after? Matthew I was I you was know? youth pastor here for seven years, and that that was ten years after. I was done with masters so yeah um, oh boy here we go ready for this it's this gonna be great uh, let's see where there it is I'm really embarrassed right now here we go ready for this oh Jesus help us all
1: Wait
0: Now <laughs> to be to be like to be fair to the worship music of the time, okay? That was actually pretty old when we did it. And we didn't do it like that. We did it a little bit better than that. Not much better than that though it's 1997. didn't have a Okay? No, 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 no guitars. No um No, the, you know, a lot of the other you know, we really liked vineyard music most of, of all. That was what we did most of the time. But anyway, yeah, you, you know, our, our, our worship uh, uh, style has to be forgiven because there wasn't anything. That's what you need to understand. Until Delirious, people weren't making worship songs that sounded anything like any of the songs that were on the radio. It just wasn't happening. And then Delirious started making worship songs that sounded a heck of a lot like you, too. Seriously. And, and, and we're all like, what? You can do that? Because the Vineyard stuff was all kind of like, you know, jangly acoustic guitar kind of stuff. But none of the big, like, you know. Anyway. But we still, we love the Vineyard stuff. But. So it has to be forgiven, I'm sorry, but you have to forgive us for our poor taste in music. We didn't have any choices at the time. Um, so but yeah.
1: I mean I wasn't judging. I just You were totally judging. Given the context of music (laughs) that you listen to that you were playing, thank you for breaking that again. And and I kinda get a good representation of usually (laughs) worship. Well
0: that's not me leading worship. <laughs> and I'm a much better worship leader now than I was then. That's for sure. Um, because I've literally been leading worship for like 25 years. You still lead worship at your church? Yeah. Not every week. But uh, we have three teams that rotate. Uh, okay. and, uh, and so I lead worship like twice a month. Once a month, twice a month. Hey! <laughs> what up, Sammy J? Sammy. I totally <laughs> forgot. What's up, Bubba? He, here, he was at our church, and we led worship when he came and preached. Woo. How'd it go? Was it okay? It was awesome. You were eh. The group was good, though. Yeah. <laughs>
1: my, my,
0: wife was, my wife blew the roof off the place, because that's what she does. And Miss Victoria has led worship with us many times. Back in the day, because we used to worship here as well, and then we and and we kind of ran the worship gig on Saturday nights. Um, Those were my favorites. I really miss Saturday night. We used to have a Saturday night service. We did it for five years. Yes, ma'am. No, First Assembly did. First Assembly did. Was in the gym. I it was it was in the gym. It was around round tables. We'd have lemonade yeah, and coffee. Lemonade. Yep. Yep. We came to the one those my parents and I attended. Like we came to the service and then we went
1: to like the yeah. Cause I took you guys to to dinner, right? Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No. It. I, i really miss saturday night service was my favorite thing i ever did here i mean i loved being a i love being a youth pastor but like saturday night was kind of like my my lab my church lab like my experimental place where we could do whatever we wanted because nobody cared and so like we that's why we did tables and we did you know like extended worship times and we did it was fun yeah. it was it was good it was really fun and then one of the rules of Saturday night service was we're going to spend at least 40 minutes worshiping after service is over because what we had said was there's no place at first assembly anymore for just like lingering worship where we just kind of hang out and we just worship <laughs> except at youth group. There was a youth group because we did that in youth ministry too, But but like for adults, There wasn't, and so that kind of became a place. There's a lot of people that went to Saturday and Sunday morning because they just wanted to come and just like spend time on the floor, like on their face before God and worship for a long time. And that's kind of what we majored in. But so that's the history of my entire life. Um, No, Uh, but yeah. So I'm glad I'm glad Christmas break didn't go for you like it did for me my first year. That wasn't good. Really wasn't good. Anyway. Well, let's pray, and then we'll see where God takes us this morning. Abba, Father, I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your faithfulness through the years. Through bad worship songs and good ones, Lord, it doesn't matter. Lord, you are here with us, and you love whatever we give you. You take our little crayon drawings, and you hang them on your fridge, and, Lord, you delight in them truly. Um, I thank you for that. Lord, I just pray that as we... Oh, as we get into your word this morning, that we would hear your voice. Lord, plant good seed in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Where were we, guys? I can't even remember. Because we did the Enneagram, but before that, where were we? I know we were in the Beatitudes, but how far did we get? Blessed are those who... Oh, oh Okay. Oof. Okay, so we need to do mercy then. We did, we did mercy. We did mercy. I think we're on... pure in heart. Yes. yes. Ah. Oh, great. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. Let me pull my notes up on that. <laughs> this is a really important one, actually, guys. Really, really important. Okay we may be able to knock two out in the next hour, which would be great. Um, Okay, so we're back to the Beatitudes. Yay! I love the Beatitudes. I love Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. The Sermon on the Mount. The Constitution of the Kingdom of Heaven. The Jesus 101. Kingdom culture. Just, oh, it's so good! Everybody... Just say it's so good. It's so good. Okay, I just had I had to be Pentecostal for a minute. Uh, sorry, uh, but no. I mean, really. I mean, you heard the music I used to listen to as a kid. Um, so, <laughs> any song where you spend as much time talking about Satan as you do about Jesus was definitely a Pentecostal song. Like, you know. Uh, there was that one, then there was the other one that we sang all the time, which was Willow went to the enemy's camp I love yeah, that it. song That a song boom, is awesome yeah, yeah. It's You realize that that whole song is about the devil, right? Like, that song isn't even about Jesus But that's okay um. <laughs> Plus, our, our, like the whole room would just be dancing like crazy in worship Like, just going nuts you know, and I was kind of the the nuts, most nuts one. Like, we we laid, like, flags down across the front of the stage. And, you know, like, honest to goodness, like, 16, 17-year-old kids who really loved Jesus but were actually really cool people would grab flags and just run around. and. Yes. You know, we used to talk about worship insurance because, you know, you'd hit somebody with a flag. It hurts. It hurt because, like... I got whacked in the thumb one time with a worship flag, and I was just like, "Ah!" <laughs> I also sprained my ankle twice in worship, but that's okay. You, you don't even understand what worship was like. I mean, I've
1: been
0: like that. Have you ever seen how the Helsers go crazy in in, in in worship? Have you ever seen them go crazy, like? the You know that. What?
1: <laughs> you ever seen that? No. People like believing for financial breakthrough. Like, right? Money <laughs> break <through themselves laughs> wow. Question. Well,
0: I wow. financial breakthrough, just take that $100 bill off your shirt. You. Put it yeah. in the bank. Yeah. Breakthrough. Um,
1: okay, say, never that. breakthrough.
0: Blowing the shofar. We used to do a yeah. lot of that. Uh, <laughs> <it's so weird. laughs> um, you know. It was, it was nuts. Of course, this was also during the renewal time, which you guys probably don't even really know about. But there was this season where regularly at this church, half the congregation would be on the floor in hysterical laughter for no particular reason. Um, so, yeah, uh, that was going on more in the youth group than it was in the adult service. And it was crazy in the adult service. OK, when God would just like show up in the service and like blow everything everywhere. The youth in youth group, it wasn't a good service unless that happened. Like that's just what we did. So for a while, that was just how church worked at the time. Which is why we—that's that's really what was behind all these kids getting saved. Plus, our youth pastor just was a great evangelist. But all these kids were flocking to the place because they were experiencing raw God. It was crazy. Anyway, they were like literally my entire high school, probably a third of my scene of my class attended my youth group. Like that was just real. Uh, And that was true for a couple high schools in town. So, yeah, it was crazy. It was awesome. Anyway. So blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. They shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. What does this mean? Somebody tell me, what does it mean to be pure in heart? Go ahead. Um, I
1: going to take it step in the dark. This. Um, it's not thinking about things that are immoral.
0: Sure. Okay. Yeah. That's the answer I expected. It's not the right answer. Some, uh, <laughs> because when we think of pure in heart, when we people talk about, to us about purity... Okay, we automatically think, well, that means I shouldn't be looking at naked people, right? That's kind of where we go automatically, right? Like we shouldn't be thinking about perverted things. We shouldn't be, we kind of automatically go to to this place of uh, like a moralistic holiness. That's what purity means. So when we think pure in heart, then we, that's what we think. We think, oh, this is a person who's not corrupted uh, internally. And when we think that, if we think not corrupted, we're actually moving more closer to what purity meant in the mouth of Jesus. And maybe we need to change the way it's worded because the word pure, but see, we understand what the word pure means. We do. We understand it. But in a religious context, we adulterate the word. Okay, what does it mean if this is pure gold? 100% gold. All that's in there is gold, right? That's what pure means. Pure means of one essence, unadulterated, with nothing contaminating it which is where we can, because we get, oh, contamination. These are the things that contaminate us. And it's true, someone who isn't pure at heart may have some of those kind of thoughts in their heart. But to say that, oh, they don't have those thoughts is not enough to define purity. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. We've gone backwards from it. We've taken the word pure, which means having nothing extra in it, of one essence. The Greek word means without mixture so if I said this is pure water what does that mean all that's in here is water there's no dirt in here there's no chemicals here it's just water and Jesus says I want your heart to be without mixture okay that means something else doesn't it okay because what Jesus is not Jesus is not Saying, what I want is for you to obey all the rules. That's what we hear. Right? When you hear, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God, you automatically think, well, that means I can't be breaking these rules, etc. Okay? Jesus says, I don't want you breaking those rules, but that's not what I'm talking about. Purity of heart means singularity of essence. So when my heart is pure, it means that my emotions, my love, my affection, everything, all, all of my heart is focused on one thing. That my, there's no mixture in what, I, in what influences my emotions. There's no mixture in what I deeply care about. There's no mixture in what I'm pursuing and what I'm after and what I long for. No mixture means that I am one essence devoted to one singular thing, and what is that thing yeah. exactly? That my life is for God. Period. That's purity of heart. Purity of heart is somebody who is not does not have their priorities cluttered with a bunch of other things. I got to look it up now because I always forget to, uh, to look this quote up. Okay. So this is Augustine. Okay, he is, um, he is a Christian pastor and theologian from a long time ago. He was from Africa, um, and, uh, and, and he had some, some really bad ideas, but he had some great, really, really beautiful ideas too that have shaped Christian thought from his time until now. And he has this quote that I always think of when I read, Blessed are the pure at heart, which says, he, and I'm going to have to unpack this for you a little bit because it's a little bit kind of, all right? So just be ready for that. I think I might have shared this with you before, but he loves thee too little who loves anything together with thee, which he loves not for thy sake. He loves thee too little who loves anything together with thee, which he loves not for thy sake. All right? What that means is Father, God, the only thing I love is you. And anything else that I love, I love because it is an overflow of my love for you. So my love of neighbor is is just an outflow of my love for God that spills over onto neighbor. My love for my family, for my wife, for my children, for my job, for anything else is all just an overflow of love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul and your strength. Okay, that this is that these are the ways I I am choosing to love God, which is how we need to hear that commandment. When Jesus says, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And the scribes you know, say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And Jesus is like, yes, but there's another one like it. And it's love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Jesus says, okay. So the way this works is our love for God is so powerful, so strong, but it is expressed through love for one another. Okay? Then my love for God pours down out, out of me and and washes over every person that I am connected to. Okay. So I love you because I love him and he loves you. Does that make sense? Augustine says, if, if you're not the only object of the affection of my heart, if you are not the only thing my heart longs for, pursues, desires, puts its hope in, then I am loving you too little. And if I love anything else in my life, it should only be because I love you. That is radical, is it not? It's asking a lot because there's a lot of things we love. But I would say this to you, if you love anything for its own sake and not because you love God, you don't love it well enough. Because nothing else deserves your love like he does. Are you with me? Purity of heart means wholehearted, single-mindedness. What am I here to pursue? I'm here to pursue the Most High God. I'm here to pursue his heart, his design, his desire. I'm after Him setting the whole of my existence in pursuit of the things of God and everything that flows from that. See, God says, if that's true and everything that you are doing is pursuing the things of me, then all of a sudden you're going to find yourself loving, loving your neighbor. Why? Because I love them. And my whole heart is poured out for them. And if you really want to love them, love me, you're going to love them. Are you with me right now? Single heartedness, single mindedness is whole heartedness. Without mixture is this place where we live enthralled to one passion, one desire, one thing. Psalm 27. Somebody pull it up. Psalm 27.
1: I think it's verse, well, start with verse 3, I think. I've got it. What does it say? Um, though a mighty army sound surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident.
0: Now, what's verse 1?
1: The Lord is my light and my salvation. Yeah. Go to verse
0: four. Okay, verse 4.
1: The one thing I ask of the Lord the thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple
0: yes one thing I ask of the Lord and this only will I desire that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life May gaze upon his beauty Jesus is my one desire Jesus is my one thing Jesus is the one pursuit of the passion of my soul. Jesus is the fire that burns inside of me. Jesus is the the finish line of my spirit. This is who we are. This is what God's called us to. This is what it looks like to be a follower of Christ, to be obsessed with one thing. You ever wondered about addiction? It rules the world. You know this, okay? We are creatures of habit. It's who we are as human beings. We form habits. We do it without trying. It's just what we do. And sometimes that that uh, that pattern in us of forming habits goes to excess. To where a habit becomes something that we can't stop doing. Sometimes that happens physically, where we become physically uh, dependent on a substance. If you talk to addicts, they will tell you, people that have substance abuse issues, they will tell you, I don't take drugs or drink alcohol to feel good. I take them to feel normal. Because when I don't have them in my system, I feel terrible people that are addicted to drugs, people that are addicted to alcohol, they don't do it to get drunk. They don't do it to get high. They do it because they're so sick when they're without this substance that they can't stand to be without it. And so that's what they do. They engage in this activity. Addiction is real and it's powerful and God created it. We only exist as we exist because God created us as we are. And then sin came in and took the things that God created and twisted and bro- twisted them, broke them, turned them to its own devices. But this, this ability of the human self to become dependent on a thing is something was, that was planted in us by God, not for these other substances, but for himself. We were created to, in essence, be addicted to the Most High God. I don't like to use that word because addiction is a destructive and horrifying thing. But the any dark thing is just a light thing, a bright thing that's been perverted. And, and addiction is the perversion of the dependence that we are to have upon God and the power of His Holy Spirit. We were not a, created to exist without... Fellowship with the Most High God, we were created to live off of our fellowship with the Most High God. A Jedi's strength flows from the force. Listen, this is how we exist. We live and breathe and move and have our being in God. He surrounds us and penetrates us and binds the galaxy together. Here, this is, you know, theology via Yoda, okay? Um, (laughs) Okay. But, but there are some things that he says about the force which are really true of God and not true of anything else. Okay. But this is the reality of the presence of God. It is everywhere and we all desire it in the depths of who we are. And all the noise we make and all the things we do and all of that is all to bury the deep cry on the inside of us that we need God. We are doing everything we can to ignore it. We're doing everything we can to run away from it. Even people who love God now, we are spending time thumbing through Twitter. We're spending time shopping. We're spending time all to just put ourselves away from this aching desire on the inside of us to be filled with God. There is this cry that exists on the inside of us. It's the cry Paul calls it the cry for immortality. This groan that exists in all of nature for the presence of God to be made manifest and it exists inside of us. And we're the only ones who have the true answer as to what the as to what that grown is for everybody's trying to feed that thing with everything else money and sex and fame and power and purpose and all this other stuff fitness and whatever you want to put we we have come up with so many different things to try and throw in this fire hoping that it extinguishes it but it just makes it higher when the answer is we were born for the presence of god And it's available to us here and now in this moment. And if we will just let go of the idols which have taken over us and surrendered to purity of heart and become obsessed with the one thing Jesus was teaching at Mary and Martha and Lazarus' house. And Mary comes and she sits herself at his feet psalm 27 i just want to be in your temple to gaze upon your beauty to inquire at your temple that's all i'm asking for and there's mary doing that she says jesus is here i'm not gonna wash dishes right now right and martha's a little upset about this she's like jesus make her get up and help me with the dishes i just that's exactly how martha sounds to me in my head okay it's probably (laughs) sweet martha beautiful martha was accomplished doing the things that needed to be done for the moment that's probably where my wife would have been found too okay because she's such a practical lady and it's all about just make making things work okay and she is so busy that she ignores the fact that jesus is in the house the heart cry of David is being answered in her living room and she's busy washing dishes. And when she says, make her get up, Jesus says to her, echoing Psalm 27, he says, Martha, Martha, you're worried about so many things, but only one thing is needful, And she has chosen it. It will not be taken from her. In other words, have a seat Martha. Worry about the dishes later. Purity of heart is about motive. Here's the deal. Discipleship has to be, has to be, about more than what's going on on the outside of you. Here's the deal. My one issue with master's commission, are you ready? Are you ready? I love masters. That's why I come here every week. Okay? Are you ready? Here it is. When you walk out of this program, Is enough going to be different inside so that your life looks the same outside of this program as it did inside this program? I love everything that they ask you to do, but here's the question. And this is only up to you because there is not really a way for them to measure it except for your adherence to the program that they've given you. It's the problem every pastor has. How do I know that my people are actually growing spiritually? It's very hard. Because... Spiritual growth can be mimicked by behavior modification. But I can't see what's going on on the inside of you. Discipleship has to be more than behavior modification. It has to be more than your adherence to a list of rules. Discipleship has got to deal with desire. Discipleship has got to deal with desire. And if there is not a burning bonfire of desire for the Lord on the inside of you, you are not okay. And you can pretend for the rest of your life if you want. But if there's not a reality on the inside of you that says, I want to be with Jesus so I can be like Jesus so that I can do what Jesus did then you are not a disciple of Christ, no matter what the exterior of you looks like. Now, the beautiful thing about practicing disciplines, disciple, discipline, pay attention, okay? Those words are related to one another. The beautiful thing about practicing disciplines is that if you get the right disciplines moving in your life, they can have an outward in kind of effect, and they can shift you on the inside. They really can, (coughs) if you'll allow them. But the inside is the question. The inside is the goal. We are not after behavior modification only. We're after the renovation of the human heart. We're after purity of heart. We're after a fire on the inside. We're after the changing of desire. We're not after you. Hey, I made it to marriage without having sex with my fiance. Woohoo. Good for you. That's really good. We're happy. But is your life still ruled by lust? Because if it is, it's not much of a, well, you, you did a good job, but you're not free. Does this make sense? Yay, I didn't yell at my kids today, but is rage still the primary dominant thing on the inside of you? Or are you making decisions out of rage? Yay, I didn't lie, but did you choose not to lie because you'd be embarrassed if you were caught in a lie? And so in that case, it's pride ruling you and not truth. Do you see? It's not enough to just adhere to an exterior list of rules. We have to begin to let Jesus change our desires. And the only way that happens, the only road to purity of heart, I was an idiot when I thought we'd get through two of these today. The only road to purity of heart is to recognize the contaminant. If you don't know what's going on in your heart, you can't get it out And if you've spent too much time changing your external behaviors and not just naming the desire that's at work in you, you're never going to move beyond it. That's why in every moment, the question is, what's my desire? How many times did Jesus look at people when he met them? Blind Bartimaeus. Son of David, have mercy on me. Shut up, Bart. I won't. Son of David! <laughs> right? One of my favorite stories. You know what Jesus says to him? What do you want? You know how many times Jesus asked that question? Over and over and over again in the Gospels, Jesus asks the same question. What do do you want? What is your desire? When John and, was it James and John that came with their mom? Mom, you ask him. I'm nervous to ask him. And you want to sit at Jesus' right hand? Give me a break. Maybe mama can sit at Jesus' right hand. (laughs) Jesus looks at him and says, what do you want? If they had answered correctly in that moment, they would have realized that their request was out of place. Because what they wanted was recognition and position. If their request had been out of a desire to be close to Jesus, Jesus' answer might have been different. Are you with me? My favorite example of all, Solomon. God shows up to Solomon in a dream. It's early, early in his, in his life, before his father was dead, I believe. Solomon was crowned before David died. Did you know that? Solomon goes away for a prayer retreat to offer sacrifices. God appears to him in a dream. God says to him, Solomon, I'll give you anything you ask me. Anything you ask of me, I'll give to you. And in my Sunday school lessons, when I was a kid, I was taught that Solomon made a good request. That Solomon was like, I want wisdom. And God was like, yay. Yay, Solomon, great decision. And as I got older, I read through that again. We were doing this thing called the story where we were going through the major stories of the Bible as a congregation. And we were preaching the same thing in Sunday morning and on Wednesday night. And like in the kids, you know, it was this whole deal where we were all going through the same Bible stories together. It's really cool. And we got to Solomon and it was my job to preach it in Sunday and on Wednesday. This is what we're. And so I'm praying through it. God comes to Solomon and He says, "What were you asking me?" And the Holy Spirit said, "Stop." He said, "What?" Holy Spirit said, "What's
1: David's answer to that question?"
0: He said, "What?" He said, "You know Solomon's answer to that question. What's da- What was David's answer to the question? You know, the man after my own heart. What was his answer?" When, if I had asked him, David, what, what do you want? What would David's answer have been? And the truth is, I already know because we just read it. One thing I ask of the Lord, and this only shall I seek what? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever, that I may gaze upon his beauty. What's David's answer to the question? Solomon, will give you anything you want. If, Jesus, if the father had said the same thing to David, David's answer would have been, all I want is more of you, father. I want to see you better. I want to know you better. I want to have you in my kingdom. I want you everywhere. Father, you're my one desire. You're my one thing. You're the one request that I have. But what was Solomon's answer? If you go and look, Solomon's answer was, I just don't want to screw this up. Solomon's answer was, I'm going to find significance in doing this job well that you've given me. And God said, well, it's not as bad an answer as you could have made. So I'll do that for you. I'll give you wisdom. I'll give you whatever. But look at the end of Solomon's life. Solomon got exactly what he asked for. He asked for worldly, earthly success. And that's what he got. But David got to be the father of the Messiah. Do you see the difference? Purity of heart. One thing have I desired. One thing. One pursuit, one passion, one longing, one goal. They shall see God. let us see God. Yeah. Can we pray? Heavenly Father. Holy Spirit, come and move in this room. Holy Spirit, you know every heart in this room. You know every heart, including mine, in this room really, really well. Holy Spirit, I pray you would bring to the surface all of the things that contaminate our hearts. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would, right now, that you would bring to our attention. Let's just do one. Let's just, I'm just going to ask you for one. I can't handle all the things that contaminate my heart today. But I pray this for myself and for my friends in this room. Will you bring to light? Will you bring it to the surface? One desire that we have that's not for you. Will you make it manifest to us? As soon as you hear something from the Lord about this, I just want you to begin to just to ask the Lord to begin to show you, one, is it a sinful desire? You know, there's lots of desires that are just human desires that aren't sinful unless they become an idol. Those desires are built into you by God. Those desires were given to you by God to draw you into himself because he is the thing which will satisfy the desire that's in your heart. So begin to ask the Lord to show you how can this draw me to you? Holy Spirit, make it clear to me. Teach me right now. Holy Spirit, begin to Let this thing be a magnet that just draws me into you. That I would recognize this desire and I would make this desire about God. our desires Holy Spirit whatever it is you've asked us what do you want once we have made once we know what that is then we can invite you in <coughs> Jesus and we can say here this is it Lord do what you want with this desire kill it if that's what's necessary redirect it rewire it to draw me into you reveal to me how this desire is really a desire for you, that the that that what I really want is you that you're the only way that I will be satisfied. Is really helpful for me. <clears throat> is that I begin to understand that my primary desires, because I'm a nine, so my desires kind of live in the area of significance. Okay, that's my center, right? My desires live in the area of significance, and they're always gonna be about, and because of a nine. They're always going to be pushed towards peace, that I have this desire for peace or a lack of conflict. I'm going to want to ignore issues and problems (coughs) and often even ignore desire because I want to sleep. I want to be unbothered. The reason, I, the reason I push that way is because I don't believe that significance is possible. But Here's the, the real truth that I need to hear at the depth of me. It's this. It's simple. That my significance comes from being loved by God and loving God in return. That this is the height of significance. That all else that I do... Everything else that I do should be about this one thing that I am a lover of God and that I am the beloved of God and therefore a lover of God. And When I live in that place of deep soul satisfaction then I can flow out with true love for people without need. Love which is defined by ascribing worth to others at the cost to myself. It doesn't matter. I have everything I need because all my significance is derived from the love relationship I have with God, that I am deeply loved and valued by the God of the universe, and I have significance in that place. I need no other significance. It is my relationship with Jesus which is the center and ground of all my desires. He's the answer to all my desires. I'm going to read to end. Do we, yeah. A, uh, there's a book written by uh, Dana Candler and Mike Bickle. It's called The Seven Longings of the Human Heart. I'm just going to we may take a whole class and go after these <clears throat> later. Uh, but I want to I read them to you. I think these are helpful. Um, uh, I haven't thought of them in the, in the light of the Enneagram. It might be interesting because uh, I haven't looked at this for a couple years, but just really feel like I'm supposed to. These are desires that God put in you to draw you to him. They are desires that God created. And then in their their pure and satisfying form, the only way these desires can truly be satisfied is in a relationship with God. That's it. He's the only way for this desire to be truly satisfied. Okay? But the enemy comes and perverts these desires and makes this desire an idol. One of these desires or several of these desires, idols that we bow down to in our lives. And because of that, it's robbed of its ability to satisfy us, okay? It gets twisted, perverted, and turned. You ready? We don't have a lot of time, so I've got to go through this in 10 minutes, okay? And there's seven of them, so. The first desire that was built into us is a desire to be fascinated. It's a longing to be fascinated. For some of us, the worst thing we can imagine is boredom, Right? That's definitely me. I can't stand being bored. We have this longing to be fascinated, to stand in awe, to be like, "Wow, this is fascinating, interesting, and exciting." And so we, and the problem is, we we <laughs> we were we were created to experience awe and wonder as we experience God in the universe, as we look at God, as we look at the things God created. We're like, wow, have you ever been to like the Grand Canyon or, or or the mountains or someplace like that? And you just, something stirs on the inside of you and you're just like, oh my gosh. Like, I remember being in Yellowstone and I just cried the whole time because I'm just looking around. Like every time we'd come around a corner, I'd be like, God, you're amazing. Right, and just get, because it was like, wow. Cause And we were designed, we were created for this. We were created to experience awe and wonder. We can't function properly without it. But that, that, that facet of who we are gets perverted and we begin to chase it down in secular entertainment. And, and you know, and I'd like video games, but and I don't think there's anything wrong with them per se. But if we, you know, become obsessed with these, you know, with the use of drugs, with all these other things that are we're trying to induce this sense of awe and wonder when it's available to us. If we'll just open ourselves to God. Only the beauty of God can truly satisfy this basic longing forever. Psalm 27:4. One thing have I desired. To gaze at the beauty of God. I just want to see you. I just want to know you, God. And what are we going to spend eternity doing? I used to think heaven must be really boring. Because after the first thousand years and you've met everybody, right? I had my conversation with Abraham, right? That was cool. You know, that kind of thing. And then you realize it's a thousand years later. You're like, I got nothing left to do. Are you kidding me? We get to spend eternity exploring an eternal God. Ha <laughs> ha! it's going to be so great endless awe and fascination because there's no separation no veil, nothing standing between us and raw God we're just going to be like for millions of years just looking at God just blown away fascinated we're going to be standing in his presence worshipping him, imagine thinking about one aspect of his character and nature for a billion years and still not having it figured out, mercy mercy Whoa, mercy! What does mercy taste like? What does mercy smell like? What does mercy sound like? I can't wait. I don't have to wait. I get to do it right now. Get to drink from the river of God now in this moment. That's the only thing that will truly satisfy me. Number two, the longing to be attractive or possess beauty. We all want to be Handsome, attractive, beautiful. That's what we all long for. Yes. Nobody wants to be someone, you know, that is that people look at them and they're like, ew, right? Nobody wants that. Okay. Why? We have a longing to, to be beautiful, to be attractive. That's we, we have a longing for that. God created that in us. Okay. We want to be cool or looked upon with delight by others. We want to feel beautiful. So, but the thing is the problem is we try and dress up our outsides or adopt titles or positions to feed our pride, but we will never, ever, ever be satisfied. And have you ever noticed that the most beautiful people seem to be the ones who are the most insecure about how they look? Why? Because they've based their whole worth on the satisfaction of this one desire And guess what? It's never going to satisfy them until they realize that in hearing the voice of our bridegroom king singing over us, you are beautiful, my my bride. You are, and all of my delight is in you. Until we are experiencing God's delight over us. Whoa! You mean I delight you, God? I delight you, oh man, some of you if I could if I can just feel the potential in my heart right now in the spirit if you would begin to recognize the truth that God takes delight in you, the way that you would explode into purpose and glory and favor, the way that you would explode into joy. <laughs> you would be overwhelmed by the sense of purpose that it gives you to know that God delights deeply in you, that he looks at you and says, You are beautiful. I love you. You are gorgeous. Oh, man, the way it would feed you on the inside to know that God finds you beautiful. Oh, man. I want to point you to Song of Solomon. That's all I got to say. Just go spend some time there. Have a great time. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) Should we do Song of Solomon in here? We've done it before. Should we do it? (laughs) Did we do it last year? No. Two I years asked, ago? No. Uh, yeah, two years ago, I think. Because I asked you about it and I listened to one of your podcasts on it. Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon. Oh. Nobody wanted me to do Song of Solomon the year we did it. Everybody's like, no, please don't do it. You know, because it, you know, they didn't want, they didn't understand. Okay. By the time we were done, it was good. All right, number three. <coughs> The longing to be great or successful. We all want to be successful. We all want to do great things with our lives. None of us wants to be a nobody. So we try and gain earthly significance by building earthly kingdoms, gaining wealth or fame or success, but it will never satisfy us. Only the understanding of the place that we will fill in heaven forever at the right hand of Jesus as royalty in the age to come. We need to understand... We were created to rule with Christ. And we are the royalty of the universe. That's real. And all of those, the bride of Christ will rule with Christ. That desire to be great was bred into us by God because what are we in the universe? What are we in the universe? We are co-sovereigns with God. That is... That is what god has called us into we have been called into ruling with christ forever what did you think that meant sitting around on a on a cloud playing a harp no there's going to be real significance real uh you're going to be doing real things and the whole point of being transformed into the sec- image of the second person of the trinity is so that god can vest you with authority in the universe to go out and to, and to uh, uh, spend his authority in the universe as he wills. That's what he created us for. He's restoring us to rulership. That's who we are. Not rulership out of our own, like, I'm important. No, rulership that turns the whole of the universe to worship the Lord our God. That's who we are. That's what we're created for. We're standing in the place of priest and king. That's who God created us to be. Reflecting the worship of the universe back to God and reflecting the authority and the care and the love of God back to the universe. That's the place we hold as human beings. The universe is big because there needs to be about 7 billion billion humans out there in the universe ruling over the planets and the galaxies and the nebula and whatever else. This This is our job. I was in Mexico one year, and I was, and, uh, and and I was walking in this village that was just crushed by this poverty mentality. And I was just saying, "Oh God, stand against the spirit of poverty. Just remove the enemy from his place of authority." And then I said, "Father, I ask that you would enthr- dethrone demonic authority and enthrone angelic authority." And the Holy Spirit said, "No." The Holy Spirit yells at me sometimes. <laughs> And I was like, why, why? He said, angels don't belong on the throne of earth. That's the whole problem with demon principalities and powers. They don't belong there. I gave rulership of the earth to man. I said, well, Lord, then how do I pray? And he said, pray that my people in this region will rise up to their seat of authority and begin to speak blessing of life over their region. I was like, ooh, okay, I'll do that. <laughs> We have abdicated the throne and given it to the enemy and it's time for us to take it back. Come on now. Come on. All right. Where was I? And that's where we find true the sense of being great and successful is when we're ruling together with Christ for all of eternity. Number four. This is the one that messes with me the most. So, oh Lord Jesus, help me. We don't have time. The longing for intimacy without shame. all want to be in the place of true vulnerability without fear, without shame. We all want to be at the place to where we are fully known and fully accepted at the same time. It is a desire that is born inside of us, but we are all terrified by the thought. But here is a God who knows every thought that's ever gone across your synapses. He knows every action you've ever done, every word you've ever spoken. And he is saying over you, I love you. I accept you. You are mine and I am yours. And only there, only with God can we find true intimacy without shame. Only with God can we find it. True intimacy without shame. Good, I made it through that without crying. Number five, the longing to be wholehearted. We all want to be 100% like in, right? Sold out. We all kind of have that desire to be sold out for something. But nothing in this world deserves our wholeheartedness except for Christ. Christ. He's the only one that has not failed us. He's the only one that has not disappointed us. He's the only one that is actually worthy of all my heart, all my life, all my energy, my attention, and my affection, is Jesus. He's the only one. Everything else is going to take what I give and keep taking. It's going to steal from me, rob from me, and give me no satisfaction in return. Everything else, but Jesus will not do that. We have a desire to be wholehearted, and with him, it's safe. Number six, a longing to make a significant and lasting impact. A significant and lasting impact in the world. We want what we do to leave a legacy. We want what we do to have impact beyond us. I'm watching my dad as he's walking through this process of stepping out of 40-plus years, of leading this church and handing off his baby to somebody else and it's kill it's really hard as much as he loves and honors Rob and Rhonda and he knows that that's who God has put here and he's grateful that he's handing off leadership it's still his baby and they're not gonna do things the way that he did it and it's really hard They're going to follow the Holy Spirit. They're going to do things well. I'm not saying anything about them. I'm just saying it's not going to be his anymore. And it's really hard for him to hand that off and be like, because that's his legacy. He's worked his entire life, sometimes a hundred hours a week for weeks at a time to see this thing brought to fruition. And now he's got to give it away. Can you imagine? It's killing him. Because we all have a longing for lasting impact. But here's the thing Jesus said it like this He said, Store your treasure in heaven where moth and thief cannot break in or destroy. Right? And the things that Dad has done in cooperation with the Spirit of the Most High God are sitting in his treasure room in heaven, and nothing can steal those. Eternal impact. Lives won for the kingdom. He's got it in spades. And the more he recognizes that, the easier it is to let some of the earthly stuff go. Finally, number seven Hmm. we long for the assurance that we are enjoyed. We long to know in the depths of ourselves that we're enjoyed. We want to be enjoyable. Don't you? Do you want people to see you and go? (laughs) We all had a party. We didn't invite you because you would ruin the party. (laughs) Nobody wants to be that person. Everyone wants to be enjoyed. And here's the truth. God enjoys and delights in you. Eternally. We know it. Amen. Amen.